Hi there, and welcome to the Feeling the Sonic podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Connor. This is episode 40, and the title of this episode is Getting to Grips. Joining me as my guest is production music library composer, Richard Bagley. I will be talking to Richard about his musical background and how he came to follow a career in teaching and most recently banking to now being a signed composer creating music for media exclusively listed on production music libraries. That's all to come, but first, here is a quick reminder of what the Feeling the Sonic podcast is all about. Feeling the Sonic is an indie hub featuring news, views and interviews with notable creatives on entrepreneurial lifestyle, health, very much including mental health and original independent music. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify Podcasts, or indeed, wherever you get your podcast fix. Feeling the Sonic, it's a matter of choice. It is my very great pleasure to introduce you to composer Richard Bagley. Hi, Richard. How are you? Hey, Stephen. Great. Thank you. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Um, not really thinking much of the weather as it is at the moment. Um, whereabouts in the UK are you based? We're up in West Yorkshire and, and talking about the weather. We had the mother of all thunderstorms a couple of nights ago, so uh, I think yeah. quite lucky today. It's a little bit more settled. Yeah, um, it's, it just does seem, I know we're a nation of weather um, <laughs> enthusiasts, or maybe not enthusiasts, weather critics, I would probably say, um, as, as a British thing to talk about the weather. But um, it, this this May has been, I don't know, probably the coldest or the wettest. Uh, it just seems to be going on forever. I could really do with some sunshine. Some sunshine now would be great, wouldn't it? We need the, we need the warmth back, I think. Definitely, definitely. All right, Richard. Well, thanks very much for joining me on the Feeling the Sonic podcast. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. And I'm really interested in the the subject matter of what we're going to discuss on this in production music and being a, a composer and how you write bespoke compositions for you know for production music libraries. So is that is that something that you you've aimed towards? Because I know that you've had a you know you, you've come at this probably dare I say later in life in realizing your passions for music and everything. But I know as a as, a, as an early starter you um you know you started out in school orchestras and that type of thing so what was it that kind of got you into music um and playing musical instruments in the first place yeah i think it was i've been thinking about this recently and i think actually in a sense it was almost inevitable and i think i think family influence is one of those things that is so strong when you're a youngster and we were we were lucky in a way we had a we did have a piano at home and the piano was originally round at my my nana's house that was my father's mother so she had the piano originally uh, and i i have this memory as a youngster of that being wheeled round to our house because we only lived a few doors away that being wheeled round to our house and brought into the house so from then on really i was quite uh, quite drawn to piano and, and i used to just sit and hit the keys and hope to make a, a nice sound at the time. Yeah. So I would have been quite young. I'd have probably been, I don't know, eight, nine, ten, probably at that age. And on my mother's side, my mother's uh, mother, my uh, grandma, she had been involved in local dramatics, um, local uh, choirs. And, and so I think, I think there's, a, there's quite a strong family influence 
which got me into it originally. And then yeah. having the access to the instrument, I think, was the other thing, which was, yeah, you've just got something that you can make a nice noise on. And it, uh, it sort of went from there. Yeah. And I, th I think that's probably fairly traditional in the way that people do get started in this. But was it particularly the piano? Because I know that you are a, a classically trained pianist then. So those early learning years, if you like, or experimenting with on the piano, um, did that lead to, to where did the classically training uh, come in? What sort of age was that? So, so that was so I used to just just make up my own tunes and play by ear. Um, originally, and then I decided it was probably early years of secondary school when I thought, well, okay, I'd like to take this further. I'd like to be, um, I'd like to know a little bit more about the theory, and I'd like to know a little bit more about how to play this thing properly. And so then from that point on, I took, I did take piano lessons and took them all the way through school, took them through university as well. So developed uh, whatever skill I still have but i developed it at that time really through the classical repertoire and formal training if you like but actually interestingly Stephen, the passion wasn't so much on the classical side the passion was seeing um my all-time musical hero keith emerson for the first time on a oh. bbc documentary in probably 1973 i think it might have been which changed my life um, I I was just blown away when I saw Emerson uh, for yeah. the first time, and that was um, that then became my passion and my aim actually to try and emulate how ridiculous, but to try and emulate emulate uh, Emerson. Uh, so how how did you go about doing that then? I mean, did you did you have access to instruments that? Um, I mean, do you, does does it come naturally to you? Do you think in terms of you mentioned like playing by ear? Um, are you one of these people that um, can just pick up something and play it? <laughs> I can, yeah, I can, I, I can generally. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling because, um, and actually, my my next purchase is probably going to be, um, and don't laugh, it's probably going to be a ukulele. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, they're popular. Popular. They're, they're doing great. And and that indeed, yes. And that's really just again, it's just um, expanding the musical palette a bit more. It'd be yeah. Like buying a new set of paints for a painter, I suppose you can just buy another instrument. And and okay, I won't. I won't be. You know, I won't be a great player, but I'll, I, I think I'll be able to knock out a few chords. So yeah. I can, I can strum a few chords on a guitar, um, keyboard instruments. Obviously, I can, I can play. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I can, I can generally knock a tune out of most things. In fact, interesting. I've just we're doing a bit of a clear out at the moment here in, in the house, and I had an old. I, I used to be a member of the local brass band. Um, and I had an old cornet that I'd had for many years, and I've just donated that back to the same brass band. And uh, oh, fantastic! So, 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 yeah, I, I've got a experience of a few different instruments. Yeah. So on on the brass band type thing, I know you say brass, I say brass, but yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> being a soft southerner. Um, <laughs> So it, it, it's, that's very much a northern thing, though, isn't it? The, the, the brass bands and, and, and the village yes. bands. Yeah, absolutely, huge. I mean, I mean, I'm probably not. I, I don't know so much these days, but certainly when I was into it um, as a as a um, as a youngster, um, we used to go to band competitions, huge band national band competitions down um, both sort of locally, but also down in London. Royal Albert Hall had a a huge competition there as well so yeah it's very much it's a very strong tradition here mm. in the north um as i say it certainly was back then not so much uh, i don't know about now i'm not not so involved these days mm. but certainly uh youth brass and the the main brass bands were uh 
were a big thing. Yeah, and I, th- I think a lot of them were weren't they linked with mining um, com- communities? Yeah. That's yeah. what I think the, that was their origins, wasn't it? I think from... linked with mining communities and also yeah. um, other sort of. Uh, like Grimethorpe, for example, Colliery Band, Brighouse and Rastrick. And then obviously there were various engineering works who had their own brass bands and they became the top bands and the, the most successful bands, if you like, at the time. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that, I think, was the tradition born out of the communities where the, the band would be close to the colliery and the colliery obviously would have its own you know, would have, would have uh, the village would have grown up around the colliery. So very tight community ties as well. I, I always think of the, the 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 movie, you know, the Full Monty, where one of them is is uh, in the band. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Brass Off, of course, was another uh, uh, famous movie uh, regarding brass bands. So yeah, yes, very very strong tradition. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so so you, you you as you kind of progress through life, then I mean, so music has had this you know early influence, and and it's obviously something that you've you've kept up over the years. Um, and I was interesting, interested to see that you were a physics teacher. You went on to be a teacher for, uh, for a number of years. Um, but as you were doing that, you got into MDing the, you know, the, the school shows and the local youth theatre shows and that type of thing. So how, how did that progress then from the, from the music background that's obviously stayed with you to then going into teaching um, a different subject? That wasn't the plan. <laughs> <laughs> These things never are, Richard, are they? <laughs> the plan was, when I... Um... When I was coming to the end of uh, university, I I was looking to get into um, working in recording studios and um, progressing through recording engineer uh, as a as a career. Um, and uh, so this would have been eighty two, early eighty two, I think it was. And I did get I did get actually an interview down in um, Rack Studios. Do you remember the Mickey Mouse yes. label, the Rack label? So I got I do, yeah, yeah, down there. Um, for a tape op, it was it was the the T boy type position, as you might remember, Stephen. So I, I got an interview for that down at Rack Studios and was mm. successful actually. And this must have been in the February March of my final year at university. But although I was successful in interview, they did say they wanted me straight away. And so it was a choice then of do I then throw everything in and go and work for Rack Studios or do I finish my degree? Um, and and it's one of the, I suppose, looking back, it's one of those decisions, isn't it, that would have changed mm. the, your life one way or the other. And I made the decision to turn down the job and, and uh, finish my degree. Um, and then and then from then, uh, it was a matter of, I was still trying to break into that world, but I thought, well, in the meantime, I, I need to earn some money. So um, I thought, well, I'd enjoyed physics um, as a subject, and I enjoyed it while at university. So I thought, well, I, I can teach physics while still looking for opportunities elsewhere. Yeah. And and as these things happened, you know, I just I got involved in in teaching and enjoyed it. Um, and at the same time, then obviously it becomes known that you're a you know, musician, and and anybody like that in a school is obviously called upon to help out with various shows. So I loved and you know playing for mm-hmm. the shows and 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 MDing the the various youth shows that I um, was involved in, and and then and then for you know the the sort of ambition in your life, if you like to to break into a recording type role, uh, sort of fell into the background um, mm. because you're then focusing on a, a career, building a career at the time, building a career in teaching. Although obviously that changed 
um, after about six years. So into like university years and things like that then. So you've been involved with a few um, bands as well. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I was interested to see that you played in a covers band as well. And I'm interested in what, you know, what, what songs did you do as covers in those days? Uh, you know, what was popular with audiences? Uh, Myself and a guy called John Parkin and a band called Curious Dreams. So this was, and, and actually the, the the band was heavily acoustic. So we, we, we played a lot of sort of acoustic, melodic tracks, um, uh, piano based in many cases um and we had we had very favorable reviews in uh, the music press at the time we had some play on local radio some of it was sort of prog leaning if that's not you know it was sort of a little bit um extended pieces etc cetera, etc cetera, but also with this sort of strong melodic bass um strong acoustic bass to the to the track so we were we were quite committed in the early days of of curious dream and, and committed to to making that as a mm. as a band and again you, you know in in the way that these things happened careers i won't say careers got in the way but careers overtook yeah. the ambition for us in a sense uh, but myself and john unfortunately al's no longer with with us but john and myself have, have, have stayed in contact for uh, over the years and um and then we we sort of gravitated towards a covers band and the covers really were oh um i would say sort of rock classic rock uh yeah. tracks so ranging from we'd play some um we'd play some dire straits some rory gallagher we'd play some floyd we'd play a little bit of genesis we'd play um uh that we'd play a little bit of journey stuff so it would we'd We'd gone then from the the own band stuff, the Curious Dream stuff, into into covering what we would class as uh, sort of classic uh, the classic rock genre. Yeah, sounds good to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I, the reason I asked the question about what was popular because um, I've just recently, so I've, I've uh, you know as a kind of singer songwriter and, and fronting my band for Sonic. And um, what I found is that when we do gigs, you know, I think if you're, if you're playing something new to, to people and they've never heard you before, they've never heard of you or, um, or your music or anything, it's quite difficult to kind of, you know, play to, play to an audience, you know, for the first time. So what I do is I just chuck in the odd cover every now and again and I sneak in my own originals around the covers <laughs> when, when you've got a kind of, you know, a longer maybe hour and a half gig or something. Yeah, no, I, agree. Uh, I think you're right. I think you've got to, you've got to, um, keep the audience with you but also give them what they want as well and the and the, yeah. the i mean i described my the, the, so the covers that we do we're doing and we're just in rehearsals now so we so that as and when a, a gig might present itself after the 21st of june we're kind of gig ready and you know we're, we're putting a, a two 45 minute sets together at the moment mm. but it's interesting so I, when i look back through my sort of music influences and the covers that i want to do the vast majority of them are from the 80s 90s um, which are still popular now. So, you know, so for, for example, Teenage Kicks, which just seems to be an, a never-ending, um, you know, from the undertones, classic one that generally kind of covers bands that, that's in their, in their set somewhere. And, um, you know, so, so these are the ones, and we, we've also got, we do a Kinks medley with All Day and All of the Night, and You oh, Really yeah. Got Me, and, and we've got classic some Beatles. Yeah. yeah, and we rock them up, and people absolutely love them. You know, it's but these things, these songs have been around for generations, and yet they're still as popular today. I mean, I can't say the same for, um, you know, twenty twenty one. I mean, in terms of the music that we have at the moment, but I'm not 
particularly a fan. I don't really listen to chart music and stuff, but these old classics, I mean, they're, they're going to be with us forever, aren't they? Exactly. And I think, yeah, some of these are, you know, describe them as timeless, wouldn't you, where you may not always know the band, but you'll certainly know when you hear the song, you'll go, oh, yeah, okay. And, and, and yeah. For, you know, for many people, I suppose, soundtrack of their youth in, in some respects. So Absolutely. Yeah, you can tap into that and a little bit of a nostalgia um, in that as well. Yes, absolutely. You're onto a winner. Yeah, I hope so. Um, all right, so we better we better get round to uh, the t- the topic then. So, so in terms of production music, so we just heard your background and the you know the eclectic mix of, of music and instruments and things like that that you play. So the natural progression from that is to is to be a composer. But you do you write bespoke compositions, you know, to to Brees for production libraries. And for those that don't know this world. Um, how, how does that work in terms of you know you writing a piece of music to what, what kind of brief do you get, and is it very much based on you know maybe a brand wanting to achieve a certain thing or a certain sound, a, a kind of sonic identity if you like, or you know what are people looking for when it comes to matching music with um, a, a brief nowadays? It's mm, a, a good question. I, I've I've been working in this um, in this area for for a relatively short time. Stephen, really. I think probably mm. um, focusing in on this over the last 18 months, couple of years or so. And the, and the reason for that is I was um, I was working for a bank for um, for a long time. Um, and then uh, they released me from my uh, my employment, let's say, and, and it allowed me then to focus in back in on the on the yeah. music as a, as a passion. Um, and I got very in, interested and involved in um, the compositional side of music, um, and I suppose there's two the two broad areas that you can and and people can challenge this, but I think two broad areas. One would be where uh, you are commissioned to write for short films, independent films, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, or, or indeed commissioned for. Um, for you know, for the concert hall, but yeah. obviously those are those are generally going to be the more well-known composers, generally going to be the more experienced composers, and particularly if you're composing to a deadline, I think that's that's a, that's a real challenge. That's fine, and that's 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 not off the radar necessarily. But I think in terms of my own development and having control over my own development, it's probably better for me to work at my own pace and develop at my own pace and develop. Um, uh, albums of music that could be certainly when I was thinking about this could be of interest to production music libraries. Now, the way production music libraries work is, and, and actually, they're probably busier than ever these days. When yeah. we watch TV programs, we might watch there might be some daytime stuff on there, there might be some early evening stuff on there, there might be some later evening stuff, but the amount of music you hear on TV programs now some of which is commissioned and composed specifically, but most, and I don't have a percentage, but I would suggest most of the music that you hear is taken from a library. And actually the music supervisor, the music editor would be looking for particular pieces of music that will fit the mood and complement the mood of the piece of film. So they scour the various production music libraries for the music they want to use. 
So you work in a particular genre, you work in a particular style and try and convey a particular emotion. So I thought, well, that, that's an interesting challenge from a com compositional point of view, which is can you create the music not to any specific picture, but can you create it so it will complement something that you haven't seen, but will complement an emotion that a music supervisor or music editor wants to convey within the piece. So I focused in on the first album, which was a reality TV album. And when I say reality TV, I think the, the shorthand for that is probably Bake Off. So if you listen to any of that stuff, there's some fantastic music by Tom Howe, for example, that, that goes on Bake Off. Um, and I thought, well, okay, let me let me use that as a little bit of a a um, hook to hang this particular album on, and see if I can develop ten or twelve tracks in that in that style, and and that's what I went on to do. And then the second part of that is obviously pitching that to libraries to see whether they're interested. And I've been lucky, I think, in the last two or three months, where certainly the first album was pitched and got picked up very quickly. And then having done that, I moved on to a second album, which I called Emergency. And that really was about programs like, for example, thriller, uh, drama documentary, uh, crime thriller, 24 hours in A&E, that type of where there's some tension element. So I, I, I built an album of 12 tracks around that and pitched that and, and, and that was signed uh, three or four weeks ago as well so. that's fantastic well congratulations with that i mean because i think this is you know it's, it's not easy but i mean it's interesting that you mentioned there um you know with the music telling the story if you like i mean as a songwriter one of the things that you know that we try to get into into our music is this whole thing about tension and release isn't it you kind of take the listener on a journey to wow where's this going you know what's coming next and then there's it, you, it's got to conclude and, and release uh, i'm sure there are other phrases for it but you know, listening to some of your music, I mean, that's apparent in there, particularly in something like Emergency. And isn't it fantastic when you when you go to the cinema and you hear this, see this with a, you know, on a big screen and you've got that dramatic music taking you on this journey, you know, through, you know, something like, you know, like a, a, an amazing guitar solo or something through a, a car chase scene and that mm. type of stuff where the music, without the, the music, that scene wouldn't have the impact on an audience um, as it does with the music. You're absolutely spot on there. And I think when I first came into this, I, I, I used to listen to pieces and ask myself the question. So just as you've described there, Stephen, this sort of, that they've conveyed a particular emotion, whether it's a, a chase or whether it's a, a sad scene or whether it's a, a, a sort of tension around a particular, whatever it might be. And then I thought, well, how have they, how have they done that? How have they actually yeah. managed through the music? So I, so I used to sit and, and, and still do actually, used to sit and deconstruct um, pieces of music. So stripping away the layers of the music to try and find the, in a sense, the ingredients for the, for the recipe. They've, they've, and, then, and then once you've deconstructed, go, ah, right, okay, mm. how you do that is, you know, here are the sort of raw ingredients. And then the trick, of course, is using the raw ingredients to build a new track of your own, so it's not a copy or a clone, but it's probably the same ingredients to, 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 to build a fresh track that, again, conveys the emotion you want to convey, whether it's action or tension. Okay, so let's, let's, have, a, let's have a listen to something that, um, that, that kind of sums that up then, maybe from your emergency album. Um, maybe get into grips or endless weight from that that we can, um, that we can let people have a listen to? Mm, sure. Uh, which one should we go with? <laughs> Uh, how about getting to grips? That's uh, probably uh, one of the more emotional tracks, let's say. Um, so probably a 
a useful intro to the stuff I've done on it. Okay, do you want before I play that then? Do you want to um, just describe to people listening, you know, how you wrote that, or uh, and how it's, um, you know, what what it conveys and everything, and then then we'll give it a spin. So it's like it's a bit like you were saying earlier, Stephen. I think I was, for each piece, and these pieces are generally two, two and a half, three minutes long. Is the kind of length of piece that that we're looking for in live mm. music. Uh, and for this particular one, because the Emergency album has a, it, it does have a range of tracks from quite hard, pounding, dramatic tension stuff to to uh, light attention to this, which is on the other side of the scale, which is my story I was telling myself here was. So, for example, we're in a 24 hours in A&E type situation and um, we're, we're in a situation where somebody's been brought in with a particular issue. Uh, they've probably been admitted to hospital. They're lying in the hospital bed. And this is an underscore to the story being told of the person you know what are the chances of this person what's the prognosis etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's a little bit of the a little bit of um a, a softer gentler more emotional underscore to that type of scene perfectly described i think okay let's have a listen to that then shall we this is getting to grips which is from richard bagley's emergency album and uh have a listen to this fantastic piece of music Thank you. 
So that was Getting to Grips by Richard Bagley. And Richard, I suppose you, you, as a composer, you have to be prepared and, you know, ha- have an insight into, you know, in the emotional side of things, as you described there, with something like an emergency one. But what about maybe on the romantic side or or if it's a love story or if it's something that, you know, uh, something that needs to portray a kind of happiness or, you know, um, contentment, if you like. Uh, so it's how, how do you tap into that side of emotional side of the music? That's a that's that's a good question as well because in a, in a sense the the um, in a sense the more dramatic action packed epic stuff and I'm not going to say it's easier but, but <laughs> if you produce something like that and it invokes an emotion in the listener you can say oh, that's fantastic that sounds yeah. great drums beat whatever but the, on on the other side if you're trying to then do more of a uplifting romantic in some cases. Um, type piece it's quite easy it's certainly quite easy for me to tip over into the um, sort of sentimental almost yeah so again it's a bit of a balance between um trying to convey the emotion um and not getting too sickly sweet or sentimental with mm. a particular track so that that's that's what i'm in the in those more uplifting perhaps light-hearted pieces that's what i'm trying to uh, that's what i'm trying to do yeah. Okay. So we've got an example of that then. Romance in the countryside. Um, what was that particular piece of music written for? I was um, I was working on um, w- when I started the uh, the work on on the composing side. Um, I decided that it would be really helpful to have some a little bit more grounding in in the approach and the industry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. So I took a, a course by a fantastic organization called ThinkSpace. Um, and this is uh, run by Guy Mitchell-Moore. Some people may remember, if you're as old as me, you may remember Cliff Mitchell-Moore was a presenter. I do. Yeah. Years ago. <laughs> Guy is Cliff's son. And as I say, runs this fantastic organization called ThinkSpace who run online music courses. One of those courses was um, called, or it's called Music for the Media. So I was fortunate in in taking that because what you do, not only are you tutored in writing for the media, but also you are assigned um, working composers as um, tutors and or mentors. So you're getting real world feedback on the work that you are producing. And one of the um, assignments was to create a, a TV advert for a car. It was a Honda Civic, actually, I think it was. But the idea being for the car advert was to develop one theme but treat it in three different ways. Um, and uh, one of one of the ways that you would have been asked to treat this was that the car was being shown in a countryside setting. Um, you, it was probably, I think the brief was, you were in the French countryside um you're you know the sun's shining um you're showing the car in this lovely summer's day driving through the country lanes and you're perhaps stopping off at some little bistro somewhere so the brief was can your music convey convey that um so one of the pieces uh, i created for that uh, i called romance in the countryside which was trying to convey this outdoor sunny day um, you know, car bumbling along in the countryside type of vibe. 
Sounds great to me. I'm there, just on that description, Richard. <laughs> so he's put me right into the into the French countryside. And uh, okay, let's have a listen to that. This is Romance in the Countryside, composed by Richard Bagley. Um, so another piece of yours, and we'll have a look at maybe a slightly different um, uh, genre, if you like, or, or brief. Um, so I've got your track here, Victory is Ours. Do you want to explain how, how that came about and the difference between, you know, what you were thinking as you wrote that piece of music versus, you know, the kind of emotional tug uh, on, on, on something that has, you know, contained strings or, you know, or something that's dramatic. So Victory is Ours, where, where did that come from? I was, it's, um, I was looking for... I'd, I'd done quite at this time. I'd done quite a lot of, let's say, orchestral uh, type of of work, and um, and then thoroughly enjoyed it, and and uh, you know was able to develop a little bit of um, interest and in a few tracks in that area. But then I was looking to to do something quite different, um, a, a hybrid track, if you will, which is an orchestral stroke, mm. electronic, uh, and very often these days the sort of major movies that we see will typically typically be a hybrid track so it might have an orchestral bass but it's probably also got a lot of synthesizers electronic instruments in it as well and it's a it's a hybrid there a mix up between the two so i thought well having an opportunity to have a look at that genre would be interesting mm. uh, and one of the assignments again was for a sci-fi game video game um and I went for a, a, a Vangelis Blade Runner type vibe on the track, but I also wanted to make it, um, again, we were talking earlier, Stephen, about telling the story. On this particular track, what I wanted to be able to do was sort of introduce the theme, set the mood, and then uh, it sort of falls away in the middle. We've, we've got quite a, in a, hopefully, an emotional breakdown of the of the track in the middle, which is a solo female voice and very light underscore and then towards the end it builds again to a, a bigger finish so it was a again an interesting challenge in a different genre and then we were mixing the orchestral and the electronic instruments to uh, to to create this sort of hybrid version of um, of a track amazing okay let's have a listen to that then this is victory is ours by richard bagley
right, Richard. Well, um, we've heard some great music from you, and um, we're getting towards that time where we have available on the podcast. So, thank you very much for you know for joining me and and taking us through your your musical life. Really, I would I would describe it, and um, you know, background and your um, skill sets and, and everything else. I think it's absolutely fantastic. You know what you're doing, and um, I think you'll have huge success with it. Um, so, so just for people listening, then where can they where can they find your music, or a little bit more about you, and and maybe have a listen to some some other tracks? Uh, well, first of all, uh, thank you, Stephen, for the invite to the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, and uh, Me too. You know, uh, and uh, continued success with uh, with all your ventures. That was that was really good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. On, if people uh, would like to hear some more, the, the the best place probably is to go through to the website richardbagleymusic.com. Um, so that's Richard, and then that's B A G L E Y music.com. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On, the, on those sites. Okay. All right, Richard. Well, thanks again very much for, for joining me. Um, so, as I say, I'll put those links in the show notes, but it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Uh, I love talking about music anyway. Uh, but it's just really interesting how these things come together. And it is a real skill to be able to convey that message and, um, you know, emotion and feeling and everything else and tell the story through music. So, uh, yeah, best of luck with everything going forward. And hopefully I'll get to speak to you or maybe see you even at some point, some point very soon, because we do have a mutual friend, don't we, that introduced we us? Indeed, yes, that would be, that would be, I believe we have met once before, although we didn't know, Stephen. So, um, yeah, explain that, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, it was probably many years ago, but, uh, anyway, nice to get back in touch with you, Richard. And, um, and th again, thanks again for joining me and, um, I'll see you soon. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Steve.
As a military veteran, I wanted to include that last piece of music, composed by Richard Bagley, titled Comrades in Arms. Particularly poignant for me, as in May 1982, I was a young Royal Marine and part of the task force sent to the South Atlantic to liberate the Falkland Islands. On the evening of the 27th of May 1982, our position at Ajax Bay, just off San Carlos Water, which became known as Bomb Alley, was attacked from the air by Skyhawk and Super Etonard jets, and six of my unit were killed. May they rest in peace, lest we forget. My name is Stephen Connor, and you have been listening to the Feeling the Sonic podcast. Until next time, keep calm, stay safe, and God bless. (laughs) 